Hey parents, we are glad to have you with us today for another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. My name is Tim Wright. My job is to serve as host and ask Dr. Michael Gurian, hopefully, some interesting questions, uh, and the questions will then lead to answers that will be helpful for you as you are raising your sons and daughters and enjoying the gift of being a parent. Uh, We are brought to you by our good friends up in the Seattle area, a place of hope, the center a place of hope. Uh, Dr. Greg Jantz and his crew up there do some really good work around a lot of the different kinds of emotional issues that we struggle with in our lives. And uh, uh, Greg writes probably a book a year, and his books are really, really helpful. So if you're interested at all in any of those topics, please go to our website, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, and there's a link uh, in, that you will find to A Place of Hope, and uh, we'd love to have you just check them out. Uh, Michael, we have a really interesting question today. It's a pretty targeted question uh, for a certain age group, but I'm guessing that there are a lot of parents who have either had this issue or will have this issue. And so I want to read the question. And uh, it comes from uh, our friend Yafi, who's a listener, and uh, she says the following. Hello, I've been enjoying your podcast. Well, we appreciate that. Could you consider an episode on potty training? Well, we've considered it, and the answer is yes. Uh, I'm about to start with my little guy, but one of my twins, he's almost six, is still in pull-ups at night. Some people say that we should restrict liquids and uh, wake him at intervals through the night to pee, while others say we should keep going with the pull-ups and wait until he does it on his own. There are biological concerns paired with emotional concerns, and I would like to know the right thing to do. I also want to mention that I'm a pediatric registered dietitian. So um, she, she's got some good stuff already in her arsenal to deal with this question. And, and uh, my wife and I had a little bit of an experience with this with uh, one of our children as well. So, Michael, let's, let's uh, start sort of generally as we tend to do, and then we'll, we'll go into the topic a bit more deeply. But just what are some basic things that parents need to know when it comes to potty training? Uh, well, one basic thing is that that po- for the child going to the bathroom, uh, you know, is one of the only things the child can control, and and you know, so many things really are we control, the world around controls, um, but but whether this stuff comes out of my butt, you know, or out of my out of my uh, urethra, that I can control as a little little being. So let's just keep that in mind. And so that's part of why uh, potty training at a certain point can become a power struggle because it's what the child is controlling. Uh, for the six-year-old, she mentioned almost six. Now for that one, there's a lot more that that child can control. But for the one-year-old or one-and-a-half-year-old, that's this is probably the main thing, my potty. Uh, a second important thing is the power struggle itself, and this is going to lead us toward, um, uh, you know, toward some solutions and some thoughts about practical stuff. The the you know we just have to think about that power struggle and keep be self aware about it. If it's becoming a power struggle and it's becoming, it's it's affecting the attachment and the bonding between myself and my child, you know, this battle over going to the bathroom, um, then maybe we pull away from it for a while, you know. Um, uh, so if the, ch- especially if the child's only two, even two and a half, you know, 
kids do this at their own time because they control it. And um, we don't need to necessarily make it an ongoing power struggle. Uh, So what I mean by that practically is if this has gone on two months and it's creating significant stress, then maybe back away and maybe the child developmentally needs to wait another six months before the child is going to be potty trained. Uh, That would be two. The third thing is going to be biological just, you know, none of, neither of us are pediatricians here. So if the child feels like there's something going on, I'm sorry, if the parent feels there's something going on with the child that's, that's biologically unique to this child or the, or the parent wants advice from someone who has actually examined this child, you know, um, I would say talk to the pediatrician or talk to a specialist about the potty training of this child. And I, I want to give that caveat, caveat because um, potty training is, is not something that over the air in a in a half hour podcast that I feel comfortable that we can absolutely solve. You know, it is going to be developmentally unique to each of these children. Now, her her main concern it seems to be is is with her six year old who still doesn't quite seem to be potty trained, and, and we're going to come back to that in a moment because I think that's the one area where a lot of parents have some concerns. And uh, I hope we'll come back to it. Please remind me, is this more of an issue for boys or girls, uh, late potty training? But um, boys. Well, let's answer that. Or it's, it's always boys. All right. it's, it's not always boys, but yeah. statistically, yes, more boys are later than girls. Okay. So that should be at least helpful. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about um, whatever we define as normal is. A parent wants to start potty training their child. Um, you know, what would you recommend, uh, you know, as they get started and what should they be thinking about and what should they be looking for? You've mentioned some broad strokes, you know, don't push it. Uh, it'll come as it comes, so to speak. Um, what, <laughs> right. what, what, uh, but what are some things just for that, that child who seems to be on the normal path to potty training, uh, when you're just getting started, what would be some words of advice? Oh, I, I'm not a potty training expert. I mean, I think people would go to a book like a what to expect kind of book or a, a book on that topic. Uh, I What we did with our kids and what I think is, is healthy is you look around, you know, you sort of look around and you see when when are, when are other kids getting potty trained? Um, what what happened in our family in you know, in our family line? talking to mom and dad or who are now grandparents like when did you guys do it uh, because there are there are actually some genetics around this that we can talk about developmental and then um, what did others do and then do I have to have the potty, potty train accomplished by two and a half to put the child in preschool I mean you know that itself is going to be that that means okay we better start about three months out you know um, uh, because at two and a half I want to put this child in preschool and he has to be or she has to be potty trained so uh, I, I it's Developmental, so there isn't a date at which it has to happen. And if if a parent feels like there should be a date, then that would go on my beyond my knowledge. They need to consult someone who's into that. I, with our kids, we watched it. You know, starting at around two, uh, just it organically happened. I think it was around two, maybe a little earlier. We started saying, you know, do you want to try this? And here's the potty, and you know, and and. Uh, kind of did it for a while, and they tried it, and and you know you know how it is. It it ends up happening, and it it happened, and there was great celebration. And I, my wife Gail would remember better exactly when it happened, but I think it happened around two and a half. Uh, we have two girls that each of them were potty trained, uh, and it took a few months. Yeah, I remember uh, with our two kids. You know, we did the things that a lot of parents do. We bought that little. 
uh, porta potty thing, and we would put it in the family room, and yeah, we did too. Uh, you yeah, know, just let them sit on it, and become comfortable with it, and and uh, you know, of course, all the praise that you give when they do it right, and not to shame them when they uh, have uh, accidents or don't quite feel ready to to poop or pee in the toilet, um, you know, throwing the little piece of paper into the, the toilet paper into the toilet and uh, having my son try to shoot at it and, you know, all those things that, that right. parents would do, right? Um, but you you said something I thought was really fascinating because I, I don't remember um, this particular pressure, but you're right. There's a If you are going to put your kid in preschool uh, at a certain age, they do have to be potty trained, and that does sort of change... Uh, I think the pressure that parents might feel, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think I remember. Of course, I'm a generation ago. My kids are 26 and 29. So back then, I think I remember it was at two and a half. I don't know what it would be now. Um, uh, and back then, I do remember that for them to go into the Montessori preschool, that they were, you know, both our kids went to Montessori preschool here in Spokane. And I do believe that before they could go in, in fact, no, I know before they could go in, they had to be potty trained. I think it was at two and a half. It could have been a little later than that, but I think it was at two and a half that they started going to Montessori preschool. So so that did put a pressure on. Now, luckily, that's a fine developmental age to be potty trained, two and a half, uh, for, you know, if in it's you know, within the range of normal. Um, but that said, some kids will not be potty trained by two and a half. And so, you know, and it tends to be more boys than girls who are later, but it could happen for a girl. And there could be, again, biological, urinary tract. I mean, there could be reasons that need a pediatrician. And if, if I think the kind of the rule is if you're trying at, a, at the right developmental age with your child, let's say that let the two and a half is the right developmental age um, uh, as an average, then you're starting it three months out before that with, as you said, the chairs and the praising and all those good things that everyone's going to do, um, you know, and it hasn't happened at two and a half and you're seeing the power struggle starting, you're, it's getting becoming stressful, it's affecting bonding and attachment, you know, then I would go talk to someone and see if there is something uh, actually biologically going on in the child or if a pediatrician could just say, you know, for your child, I don't think two and a half is the right developmental age. Let's give it another three months or another six months. Right. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. 
Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. So let's go now into uh, really the heart of the question. And my wife and I had an experience similar to this. Now, our son, he's going to be embarrassed uh, knowing that hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are going to hear this story, uh, or at least thousands. Or two. Uh, Yeah. so he was he was not uh, six. He was uh, probably four, maybe. Um, he was not having any issues during the daytime, but at night he would uh, wet the bed. And uh, we finally got to a point where we we needed to call someone in, and so we we did a little research, and we had a guy come out uh, who wanted to suggest to us anyway that it wasn't a physical issue at this point. There was something emotionally going on with Mike that just made it difficult for him to, to make it through the night. And they had a whole process that they were, that they would do with him uh, to help him overcome uh, nighttime bedwetting. And uh, we were, uh, and Mike sat in with the guy, even though he was only like four years old, he, he kind of understood some of it. And the irony for us is from that night on, Mike never wet the bed again. Uh, so I don't know if we scared him into, you know, holding it all night long or whatever happened, or if it just clicked for him, but we didn't have to go through that process. Uh, but I did think it was intriguing at that time. So I'd love to get your impression on this, that he was saying it wasn't so much a physical issue as maybe some emotional issues like anxiety or something going on in his life. Yeah. Okay. Now that process, I don't know that process, right? Beyond my range, but, but yes, uh, bedwetting, um, and not being able to control, uh, yeah, urine and feces. I mean, that that can be a part of one's emotional structure. Uh, we know that kids who are experiencing trauma can have issues, uh, right? I mean, that's a classic case that probably everyone has heard of, of a child who's experiencing trauma, who's bedwetting, could be bedwetting all the way till eight or nine. That, that has happened for sure. Um, and it can be trauma response. Uh, it can be connected to anxiety. It can be connected to to living in violence, to experiencing violence, or to some other trauma. Uh, it can be connected to you know night sweats, to even kids who walk at night. You know, so there are all sorts of connections. It it can it can also so it can be part of that. It can also be its own self generating anxiety because yes. um, you know you everyone around you is saying okay you're four or five, or you like you can't go to a friend's house at six to spend the night or at seven to spend the night because you might wet the bed, okay, then that becomes its own embarrassment, its own shame. Um, what do you say to your friend who invited you over? You got to make something up, right? You're not going to say, well, because I'm going to wet the bed, right? So this seven-year-old child is saying something else, my parents won't let me, or whatever it is, and that becomes its own cycle. So if... Um, is there a cure or something? I, I don't think so. I mean, if this if this is going on, of course the parents are going to talk to someone. Like, like I believe the person who wrote us has probably talked to someone about this since one of one of her kids is almost six and still is still uh, has pull ups at night. She's probably talked to someone that that expert has probably has examined her child, her s- situation. If there is a significant stressor, like let's say they just got divorced, the parents just got divorced, or they've just separated, or one parent has moved to another city. I mean, that kind of thing can absolutely cause this, right? Because that's a trauma, that's a stressor. Um, and at the same time, if, if there isn't something like that in this child's life, I'm guessing that this expert has said, well, this happens. Uh, it could be in the, in the genome, 
you know, look at is there, was there anyone else who did this in the family line? And let's ask that question because there are some some genetic markers for this. So let's see if so. Okay, when did it end for that person? And so then we can get some relief as a parent. Okay, this dad did this or mom did this. It ended at seven. Um, so okay, you know the probability is this is going to end at seven. Um, uh, we could go in those directions. So it's a wide range of response to your question, because if there is trauma, it can be directly connected to it. If Even if there isn't trauma, it can create its own trauma, you know, if it goes on and on and on. And that's, you know, and then if, if, um, if it's in the genetic line, it could just go on until it ends. And maybe for your son, I don't know. I mean, maybe he was scared straight, let's say, or, <laughs> or maybe by four, that was a you know, it was going to happen for him by four or com- or all of the above. Right, right. So, you know, you've got a, a parents like us, for example, uh, or Yafi who wrote in. And, um, you know, we have some concerns because there, there's we do think that our kids ought to be potty trained by the age of three or four, uh, certainly. So when it doesn't happen, uh, we as parents also can get really panicky, which then feeds into the anxiety that our kids may have. So, yeah. what, are some, so what are some things that you would say to uh, Yafi or other parents whose kids aren't be quite potty trained by the age we think they should be uh, in terms of their own self-awareness and uh, how to respond to their children? Well, I, I think try all, all, all everything. I, I really do. I mean, don't don't make it a power struggle, which just increases all the anxiety. But just try try everything. So, like Yafi was talking about, and I, I didn't say her name because I was not sure if she wanted her name said. But you're right; she said we could say her name. So Yafi, hello Yafi. Uh, she said some people say we should restrict liquids. Yeah, try that. Absolutely, try that. And she said some people say wake him up at intervals. Try that. So I think try things for a couple weeks, like restrict liquids for a couple weeks. Um, see if that helps. Maybe if it doesn't help, it still is good to restrict liquids. But now let's also try waking him up at intervals, and see if that works. Um, try all of these innovations, and then if they don't work, her third option was some people said just let him go with pull-ups until he does it on his own, and that you know that can be too like i was saying it could be it could be a genetic marker for this so so i think try everything for a few weeks at a time and and see what works and and stay away from it being a power struggle um which increases the anxiety and the kid you're right picks up your own anxiety picks up our own anxiety and then it's a vicious circle um uh better to try these innovations explain to the child what we're doing the child does not want to be being in pull-ups at six right i mean that's really not what the child wants so the child is motivated um generally is motivated to fix this quote unquote but we're not going to shame the child and say there's something wrong we're just going to say we're going to try this innovation we're going to try that innovation um, and then and just try it the, for these prolonged periods of time. And again, and again, if Yafi has not seen anyone for this child and the child is six, I think go out and get a professional and talk to that professional. I think six is a good age to talk to a professional. Yeah, and again, it, it, a lot of it has to do with how we as parents approach our children in terms of tone of voice, uh, sense of urgency, uh, we, as you said, we don't want to heighten the anxiety our children feel. We don't want them to feel shame or guilt. Uh, you know, so how? What we want to do is somehow, in some way, say, "Hey, we're in this together. It's not a big deal. We're going to get through it." Uh, and let's. How about we try this, or how about we try that? 
Uh, and it's got to be hard for parents because we do get a little bit panicky thinking about our son maybe not being able to go to, say, preschool at a certain age or always having to run interference for the poor kid when he gets invited over to a friend's house. Yeah. Yeah, and if this is the way his or her body is set up, you know, um, I do hope that thinking about genetics gives us some relief because – and I do hope we can look and talk to people in our family line and ask ask uh, you know, dad's line and mom's line and say, hey, do you remember? Did, did uncle or aunt or did someone have this situation? I think the genetic stuff brings relief. Uh, so if I hope that is a takeaway for people if they're facing this with kids and the child is four or five or six and still wearing pull-ups. Um, ask in your family line because if you find that someone else was in this situation, um, uh, that that means that that you'll see an end uh, a light at the end of this tunnel. Part of why I think we get so stressed out is we you know we're in it with our kids our child is 4 doing doing this and we're thinking this will last until our child is 20 you know <laughs> right, right. and and uh it's hard to get relief from that even though we rationally know it won't last but we do think well maybe the child will be 7 maybe 8 maybe 9 and um uh but if we ask and we find someone else in our family line who this happened to we'll kind of see a target date which i i hope is helpful for people sick of being upsold at gyms my guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Because it, it's it's not fun. I mean, there's no way that we can say in this podcast, here's how you solve this. This is probably within the child's own power, the child's own development. And so and so you're right. We, we just can't shame the child. We can't constantly be berating the child. Uh, that's going to create its own trauma. And I'll tell you, one mistake I see families make uh, to maybe watch for is sometimes the parent who is with the child all the time, is really working on this issue, you know, to the best of her or his ability. And the other parent, who is actually not with the child very much, kind of comes in and says, well, this should be dealt with. You know, what are you doing? Um, And this is a case where we need to trust, generally, we need to trust the parent who's with the child working on this issue. Let's trust that person. And if that person is is in some way so embroiled that that person isn't really helping to solve it. Okay, fair enough. Then the other parent says something about that. Like, hey, but like you're li- you're giving him a big glass of water at 8 p.m. Okay, well, we can point that out. That's not a good idea, you know. But except for stuff like that, I would trust the parent who's who's really deeply engaged in this, who's spending most of the time with the child. Yes, and, and if there are two parents in the household, uh, you raise a great point of how important it is to have communication between the two of them as well, so that one isn't uh, sabotaging the work of the other, even unknowingly, and uh, you know just stumbles into something that uh, the other parent has been trying to do, and that's why communication between the two is so very, very important for parents on this issue. It's very important because at a certain point, if this is like going on and the child is five, you know, this will become like a central developmental issue um, in that in that couple, you know, in the couple that's raising this child and for the one spending the most time with the child, you know, for everyone, this will become one of the big 
developmental issues for the child that there's going to be anxiety around. So it is um, it is really important to communicate. Yep. And and uh, it's probably fair to say that for the most part, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the child. Uh, the the child is just trying to work through whatever the issue is, be it biological or physical or emotional, and almost always they do in the end end up potty trained. Well, yeah, yeah. That ultimately the kids are potty trained uh, if, if if they are. Um, uh, you know, I mean, there are certain disabilities where they wouldn't be, but but in in most families, the kids will be potty trained, and and this will it will write itself. It will happen. Uh, it, it's just that I think what we're doing is we're looking at how do we make it happen earlier and maybe more on right. target. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and again, I, I think every parent, uh, you know, whether our kids potty trained at, at sort of a normal age or not, every parent knows the anxiety of trying to get uh, their their child potty trained. It is such a big rite of passage, actually, to use that phrase. Yeah. And uh, we've just been through it now. Uh, our fifth grandchild, uh, she was sort of a late one, and she's a girl. So, it, but it, she just, for her, she just didn't want to do it. And it was nothing emotional. It wasn't anything physical. She just wasn't interested. She didn't have. She was too busy uh, to potty train. And there's too much other stuff happening in life that she was excited about. And um, you know, and and thankfully, you know, my daughter didn't push it a lot. Grandma didn't push it a lot when when she was here, when Matilda was here. And then it just happened. And then then Matilda decided, you know what, this is kind of cool to be able to go to the bathroom on my own. And um, so every kid is different. And you can't put one kid up and say, well, my son did it this way, so now my daughter should do it this way. Every kid's going to be different. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 developmentally connected to the genes of this child and this child's you know, sort of nature, nurture, and culture. Uh, and I love what you said. You know, one thing that we haven't said yet that is worth saying to folks is that, that uh, kids get a certain amount of bonding attention especially the little ones, the infants and the toddlers, they get a certain amount of bonding attention that is pleasant for them while their diaper is being changed. Mm. And while, you know, while mom, it's generally mom, but of course could be dad, is, you know, in that first two years of life is is touching them and, and giving this touch attachment to them and cooing with them. You know, it's it's pleasant. Uh, uh, whereas whereas um, going and sitting on a potty and no one is paying attention to you, right? It's an independent act. You go close the door and go sit sit on the potty and go to the bathroom. There's no bonding and attachment there. And um, so just always keep that in mind. And maybe that helps people make it into a positive, uh, the, the changing the diapers and the cooing. And even the helping them become potty trained is a lot of attachment, you know, and bonding. Oh, isn't that, oh, you did so well, you know, or let's try this. There's all that bonding and attachment. Um, that will go away once they're potty trained. They will lose the opportunity to have bonding and attachment there. So it's another thing to ponder. Well, we sure appreciate all the questions that we get from our listeners, and we have a queue of questions, uh, and we're going to be, the next few podcasts, we're going to look at some of those. There is a way for you to turn in your question. If you go to wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, there's a place where you can submit your question and give us as much detail as you would like. And uh, and recognizing that uh, we'll use your question as a way to springboard into larger discussions. 
And uh, the, the questions have been so fun for us to deal with, and we really appreciate the feedback that you're giving to us. So wonderparenting.com, if you have questions, it's also a great resource there for uh, the various things that Michael has created, uh, some things I've created, and, of course, a link to our good friends up there in Seattle area, a place of hope, the center. Uh, Michael, any last words before we call it a day on this podcast? No, I think we have covered this topic. I'm thinking there must be some funny puns, but I don't know what they <laughs> well, are. I, I, you know what? I'll, 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 I'll tell you one story. Uh, I, I told it before in a podcast, but I'll tell it again. Uh, there was a, a church years and years ago. Uh, a pastor was starting a church, and um, they did a survey of the neighborhood, and, and it was a very young community. They found out the number one concern in that neighborhood was potty training. And um, so they thought, well, what we should do is is bring in an expert on how to potty train kids. And they jokingly said, since we're a church, we probably need a biblical reason for doing this. <laughs> and so they went to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and there's a verse that says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And uh, so that's <laughs> the verse they used and uh, started a large church, believe it or not, using potty training as their first event of the congregation. So we know it's a big deal. All of us, every human being has got to learn, for the most part, how to be potty trained. And um, so parents, you're not alone in this adventure, and it doesn't last for a long, long time. It, it goes pretty quick, even if it's up to six, seven years old. Right. There you go. I love it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back with you next time for a very special podcast, but you've got to tune in to find out why that is. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Tim. Bye.